0: From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker and editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And joining me again today is Peter Cohn, the editor of the Budget and Appropriations Team at CQ, who's here to talk about the infrastructure spending plan that President Trump and Democratic leaders Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer are hoping to get off the ground soon. Thanks for being here, Pete. Thanks for having me. Last week, we saw two contradictory messages coming out of Capitol Hill, which we wanted to explore a little bit today. On the one hand, we saw Democratic leaders meet with President Trump and agree to pursue a $2 trillion infrastructure spending program, which they don't know how to pay for. But we'll see what the president has to say. We approached the meeting with goodwill. We'd love to do an infrastructure bill. $2 trillion is a lot. We discussed a whole lot of issues. Will he be able to deliver? Well, in the past, he often hasn't. But hope springs eternal. On the other hand, conservative Republicans in the House tried to refocus public attention on the need for spending cuts and an overhaul of entitlement programs to get rising deficits under control. Infrastructure would send spending upward and almost surely send taxes upward, too. Yet House conservatives propose their own budget blueprint calling for more than $12 trillion in spending cuts over the coming decade, and they don't want to see any tax increases. So, Pete, which side is going to win out here?
1: Well, I think you got to put it in context a little bit. So, we know that the Democrats had a, a pretty significant win in the midterm election. So, the conservatives in the House are kind of back at their heels a little bit. They're really, they, they know they're not necessarily in the room for these deals. They mm. certainly weren't when... The president met at the White House with, as he likes to call them, Chuck and Nancy right. to talk about and a number of other Democratic uh, committee leaders as well to talk about infrastructure. And they went they kind of did over the course of the meeting. They went from one trillion up to two trillion. Um, and so, you know, not all of that is going to be necessarily direct federal spending. But uh, these are big round numbers we're talking about. And it kind of happened at the same time that the uh, the trustees for Medicare and Social Security had just come out with their uh, annual. Uh, revision of, the, of their estimates of, of the long-term health of those two very important programs which uh, you know are not are not rosy scenarios I mean at, you know at some point those two programs are going not going to be able to pay full benefits uh, unless Congress just showers them with with untold billions of dollars in cash uh, or structural reforms uh, are made to those those two programs to keep them solvent um, Not a the,
0: convenient message at a time when you're looking to spend an extra two trillion dollars.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, Medicare's got a number of different financing sources. So Social Security really only has one. That's yeah. the payroll taxes that we all pay, and our employers uh, chip in as well. And uh, infrastructure, if they could do it, even a one trillion dollar bill, uh, that would be a a significant um, you know advancement from what they've been able to put together in, in uh, really, uh, in the history of the U.S. You know, you have to go back to the 1950s when they first created the interstate highway system
0: uh, mm-hmm. for something
1: of this of this magnitude. So, so it
0: would be big. It would be pretty
1: huge. Yeah, and it would pay immediate but, di- political dividends for for both parties. Now, but, you know, but that's part of the calculus here is do the Democrats really want to cut a deal with this president when, uh, you know, it's possible, at least from where they're sitting. They think the guy's vulnerable in 2020. Do they want to cut a deal on infrastructure with this president or they want to cut a deal with the next president who may have a D uh, in front of their their name? Well, so there's an appeal in doing
0: this and certainly an appeal in at least talking about it, but do they have a way to pay for this? Is there any sign of any consensus across the parties on how to come up with this kind of money? Because we're talking big money.
1: Yeah. You know, this is the perpetual struggle. And I think you have to kind of go back to after the president took office. Now, President Trump, he doesn't have any discernible core beliefs, right? He came office, he kind of had this this coalition, this government coalition that he came in with that was kind of had three prongs. You know, one, on the one hand, you have the kind of economic nationalist populace. On the other hand, you have uh, the sort of more mainstream, uh, you know, they used to ter- use this term, country club Republican, uh, that's for low taxes, low regulation, uh, and then the, on the other hand, you had kind of the the movement conservatives, the Tea Party types, the Heritage Foundation people, who a lot of whom ended up in the Trump administration. So you really have these these competing poles within the Trump administration, kind of jockeying for influence, and so infrastructure is one of the core things that gets to the economic nationalist populist plank of the Trump agenda. And this is one of the things that he talked about, you know, along with immigration and trade, these are really his kind of lodestars on the campaign trail. So, you know, Trump, he talked about deficits and debt on the campaign trail a little bit, but he's, he's never really been all that interested in that issue. But on the other hand, you've got all these movement conservatives and some of the more traditional country club type Republicans who don't like all this spending. Um, and so they kind of, you know, they've been guiding the administration's policy making a little bit, uh, well, in, in large part. But, you know, infrastructure is something that really gets back to where, where Trump began the campaign. And so, you know, if he had his way, if he could sit there and, and cut a deal with, with Chuck and Nancy that wouldn't really require pay force, I think he'd be for it. He looks at, at interest rates being as low as they are. And, you know, he, he's the self proclaimed king of debt. But the political environment we're in right now, is such that, you know, Nancy Pelosi has come in, they've got the, the so-called pay-as-you-go rules in the House, which a lot of the more uh, progressive types, if you will, have come out and said, look, this is ridiculous, why do we have to pay for an infrastructure bill that's going to actually create jobs and grow the, and grow the economy? But you still, you have the situation where the policy is being guided by a leadership of both parties that is really squeamish about big numbers in the trillions of dollars. So how do you pay for it? Who knows? They're probably not gonna raise gasoline and diesel taxes, which haven't been raised in this country since 1993. Uh, and I'll tell you why. Because it hits poor people harder than, than anybody else. And it hits people in rural, rural areas who drive much more than all of us in these, in urban areas. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, and then- But isn't
0: that the tax that most people are looking at to to fund a good mm -hmm. chunk of this, including like the Chamber of Commerce and, and-
1: Well, sure. The Chamber of Commerce doesn't necessarily enjoy the influence that they once did. I mean, Trump doesn't really like the Chamber of Commerce. He, you know, he talks about in kind of these uh dismissive tones, the Chamber of Commerce people. The Democrats mm-hmm. aren't especially fond of the Chamber of Commerce given all the, the uh pro business deregulatory positions they've taken uh over the years. So you know So you Chamber think of- a
0: gas tax increase just isn't viable?
1: I don't. I, I don't think so. And look, I mean you have to go back to two thousand nine. Now, granted we were in the depths of coming out of the Great Recession, but still kind of in the depths of it. And we needed to do a highway bill. And um the Democrats were in control of everything. Democrats were in control of the White House, uh, the House and the Senate. Um, President Obama had a Republican transportation secretary, Ray LaHood, former congressman, who came out and said, yeah, you know, I, I, it's probably time to raise the federal gas, uh, gasoline mm-hmm. and diesel taxes. Uh, his own administration sort of left him on the side of the road and said, <laughs> sorry, no pun intended." But they said, we, just, we can't do that to poorer people in this country at this time when we're struggling out of a, a recession. The Democrats on Capitol Hill, the leadership of the tax committees, they wouldn't go near this issue. Uh, you know, I reported on this back then. The, then the chairman of the Democrats, uh, the House Democrats Campaign Committee, told a roomful of lobbyists, including the Chamber of Commerce people, that uh, there's no way Democrats are going to fall on our sword politically and put forward... A gasoline tax increase, unless you can deliver enough Republicans to make it a bipartisan approach, and of course the Republicans were having none of it. So uh, there's just—and
0: you think nothing's changed since then?
1: Nothing fundamentally. Nothing has changed. Now we're in a booming economy. Uh, you know, gas gasoline prices fluctuate dramatically. I mean, Trump tweets something about Iran, and uh, and and gas prices jump because of the fact that we're constraining a, a global supply by uh, cramming Iran's oil exports down, um, you know, these prices fluct- fluctuate dramatically. But like Cal- you know, California is a good example, and Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, talks about this a lot. They raised their gasoline tax something like 12 cents, and uh, there was a big backlash, and, it was a, it, you know, and the money would all go to roads and, and bridges and things like that in California. And so at the time, it was, but it, was, it was a close vote in California, but it went through, but then there was a recall effort. I think there's there's always some buyer's remorse about raising this, this type of tax. Now, yes, uh, can you go out and, and make a good, solid policy argument to raise this tax, which has was never adjusted for inflation? Last time it was touched was 1993, and the Highway Trust Fund is falling further and further behind. Yeah, you can make a good policy argument for raising that tax, um, but how do you say that to the person who is, you know, hasn't really enjoyed the economic gains that many of us have? Uh, in this environment and also you have a fundamental issue with the highway trust fund which is the fact that cars are getting more fuel efficient and people are driving less right so it's almost like putting a a bandaid on a gaping wound that is that is you know continuing to hemorrhage right which they have talked about
0: coming up with a new kind of tax right based on miles driven or some kind of um
1: yeah, There's been the, talk of that, although I sure. haven't seen anything flushed out. Talk about that has been has been around for many years. Uh Oregon uh has been experimenting with it, maybe not maybe another uh a couple of other states, but it's just it's a really, really hard thing. I mean, you get into all kinds of privacy issues. Uh, really in, in incredibly uh difficult thing to raise the type of revenue to get to a you know, a trillion even a trillion dollar uh highway bill or a two trillion dollar bill. Now, you know. You could go back to Larry Summers, the former Treasury Secretary under Bill Clinton, has talked a lot about this issue, He's, you know, and his view has been, this is such a productive investment to make for the U.S. economy, why are we not taking advantage of the low interest rates we have right now and just spending the money and not bothering to pay for it? But of course, the political situation has passed him by, and uh, as well as the king of debt in the Oval Office, and so we're in this situation where everybody's screaming about pay-fors.
0: The pay-fors should not fall on the backs of middle class and working people, but rather it should make the code more progressive rather than less progressive after the tax cut that they did last time, which was mainly for the wealthy.
1: And so that's the reality we live in, and if that's the reality we live in, they're just not gonna get there. So that sounds like
0: they don't, there isn't an, an obvious way to pay for this at all, and then the infrastructure deal collapses?
1: Well, it's hard to see. I mean, I, you know, I, sitting here in my kind of amateur uh, uh, crystal ball, uh, that I have, it, it's hard to see them getting the kind of numbers that the mm-hmm. uh, Trump and, and Pelosi and Schumer and anybody else are talking about now. Could they nibble around the edges? I mean, they have to do a highway bill. They have to do a, a surface transportation bill between now and the end of next year, or the highway trust fund is going to fall below the minimum balances that mm-hmm. they need. But that could be a smaller scale. To, thing, yeah, I mean, they did a high, they did a, a substantial highway bill into in 2015. You know, but that's just highways and transit. Trump is talking about, the members of Congress are talking about, they want to do broadband, they want to do water. Uh, you know, they're talking about a very expansive definition of infrastructure that don't have these, these uh, dedicated revenue sources the way the, the highway and transit programs do.
0: And we should say, even though Trump met with Chuck and Nancy and pledged to work together, th- there is a deep distrust between the Democrats and Trump in terms of being able to reach a deal because they don't. <clears throat> there's not a, any history here of working together. In a productive way, yeah,
1: and and you know, and Schumer, the first thing he said was that okay, if you want to raise, if we're going to raise gasoline taxes, then we're going to raise taxes on uh, wealthier people and corporations. In other words, roll back part of the Trump tax cuts right. that passed in. And in There's 2017. no way that's going to fly with Republicans. So you know, it's it's almost an invitation to say that um, we can't do a deal with you, Chuck and Nancy. So therefore, um, you know, we're just going to go back to our partisan corners. And then we're going to wait for the the, uh, outcome of the 2020 elections. Now, you know, our roads and bridges are are really decrepit. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of interest in this topic and doing something about it. You know, and and things happen quickly. Things come together in ways that none of us can foresee right now. But it's very hard to see how a $2 trillion infrastructure bill comes together before the uh, 2020 election. Okay. Well, Trump has
0: promised to come up with a financing plan in about two more weeks when he's going to have another meeting with Democratic leaders, and we'll see what they propose, at least, to finance this huge spending initiative. We'll be watching to see which side wins out, if anyone does, as these negotiations heat up or or calm down. And here's what else to look for this week in budget matters. Senate appropriators say they're close to reaching a compromise aid package for victims of hurricanes, wildfires, and other natural disasters. The House will take up its own disaster aid package this week, amounting to more than $17 billion. And the House Appropriations Committee marks up the biggest non-defense spending bill of the year. It's a nearly $204 billion measure that would fund the Departments of Health and Human Services, Labor, and Education. And the committee also plans to approve its fiscal 2020 allocations for all 12 of the annual spending bills. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, you can always drop me a note. My email is Lerman, that's L-E-R-M-A-N, at cqrollcall.com. My thanks again to Peter Cohn, CQ's Budget and Appropriations Editor, for joining me. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate us on iTunes, or find us on Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for more budget news, you can subscribe to CQ.com or visit RollCall.com, or find us on Twitter. The handle is at CQNow or at RollCall. See you next week.